0: W Media.
1: Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills Live, the show that finds the temperament of Cocaine Bear far more tolerable than one Tucker Carlson. (laughs) I'm Liz Winstead, and I'm joined by a singular co-host this week, Moji Alawodiel, as Marie is out doing the most for patients who need support, accessing abortion care. Moji, tell folks what we got on the show today.
2: Hey, everyone. The theme of today's show is the anatomy of an anti-abortion bully. We'll fill you in on AF's trip to South Carolina to help a small clinic defend itself against an invasion of anti-abortion bullies. And why the footage we share got us banned from TikTok. And South Carolina activist Melissa Moore is here to share how they are battling some of the worst anti-abortion shenanigans coming out of their statehouse.
1: We're also going to break down how anti-abortion bullies pressured Walgreens to backtrack on providing medication abortion care and how Gavin Newsom is rising to become some kind of pro-abortion zaddy. <laughs> <laughs> We're also joined by
2: Dr. Gazala Moyeti to talk Texas provision in this ever-increasing carceral hellscape and how she deals with all the bullies who slide into every facet of her life.
1: Plus, comedian, actress, and writer Chase O'Donnell drops by to help us all exhale. Wow, that is a lot of show. So much show. So much show. But we want to kick it off by telling y'all, if you didn't know, that we are in the midst of Abortion Provider Appreciation Week with today being... Abortion Provider Appreciation Day. Now, why is today Abortion Provider Appreciation Day, you ask? Because today, in 1994, an incredible doctor named David Gunn was murdered in the parking lot of his clinic in Pensacola, Florida, by a monster named Michael Griffin. And it was in the midst of a long line of really horrific attacks of clinics. And so... We commemorate this day in the name of Dr. Gunn. You know, we we celebrate Abortion Provider Appreciation Day every day because that is why we exist.
2: But yeah, this is a nice day for everyone else to join us in this celebration and lift up abortion providers and really love them up for the work that they do and the services that they provide to all of us every day.
1: That's right. And we're going to ask on this day or as you listen to the pod to head over to afront.org and hit up the Adopt a Clinic program and take some time over the next week that you're hearing this podcast to look at the list of needs that a clinic has and see if you can fulfill that wish list. It's a really great program we have and I feel like it's something that we'll we'll put in the show notes where you can go but I think it's a good way to like just really hit it. God bless mwah, our abortion providers on this day. And so Moji mentioned earlier at the top of the show, we're sort of bending this episode, dissecting the anatomy of an anti-abortion bully through a bunch of different stories. Of course, we're going to go in deep in a minute about Walgreens and how anti-abortion bullies really um, shifted the narrative on Walgreens dispensing medication abortion. And quickly. And quickly. Yep. But we really wanted to, before we get into that story, talk about some of the work at AAF and how we went to South Carolina last week to face off with anti-abortion bullies and what happened down there.
2: And if you follow us on TikTok, you may have seen a really disturbing video. And essentially what had happened was we went to defend a clinic at the behest of the clinic. And the activists. And the activists in, in South Carolina with their support. And so this clinic has a fence around it, a fence essentially to keep protesters out. And they're not so smart, but they are smart enough to just get ladders, climb up them, lean against the fence and yell at people as they are coming in to have services.
1: And it's bad enough just in general, but this is the only independent provider in South Carolina. They're sort of isolated. There's only there's a few proud and mighty clinic defenders, but there's not a lot. Right. And so. One of the things that we talked about on the podcast before, but we'll bring up again, is this organization called Operation Save America, who is one of the loudest and most dangerous anti-abortion groups in the country. And every year they have a leadership meeting in some city or state where they know they have support, support in the state house, support from the cops, and where they know a clinic is particularly vulnerable. Uh, This year they chose Greenville, South Carolina. And so not only was it just like one creep trying to set up with a bullhorn to scream at patients over the fence, but they brought masses and masses of supporters to try to set up several ladders. So what AAF and a bunch of different advocates from around the country did was they showed up uh before they got there with their ladders and staked the ground on the perimeter of the fence so that they couldn't put up their ladders. And what ensued was Really unbelievable.
2: I mean, it was bullying essentially. Liz, basically, they the 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 uh, Operation Save America and their operatives came. They saw a bunch of clinic defenders, and they said, "Fuck that shit. We are going to put our ladders up anyway."
1: And, and they, they were they, shoving the ladders into people, into people
2: trying to get past people and all this just to attack people who are trying to get health care.
1: And they grabbed members of our team, members of our, our advocacy coalition, literally physically grabbing them, moving them. One of the people who works with us posted the bruises and the scrapes that she got from having her neck actually harmed by somebody elbowing her repeatedly. So we were filming the whole thing. And we wanted to, as we do, our organization. We capture anti-abortion extremism in action so that we can report it. And so we captured this video, and we want we told the story of them on TikTok. And that video got us banned from TikTok for showing violence against us. Meanwhile, they did not have their TikTok taken down at all. It was a mess. And And some bullshit. (laughs) Yeah, it was some bullshit. Now, you know, and that means like our 82,000 followers gone, the 3 million views gone, but we're back up, baby. So we're at abortion front now on TikTok, a new account. We're building it back, but follow us there. But the extremism was so great. And just showing, you know, how we went to the cops ahead of time to say, hey, these people are coming to town and it's going to get really ugly outside the clinic. And one of the cops asked one of our colleagues, how many Antifa will be there? I mean, that's the kind of shit that went down, right? And so we had this great interview with an activist in South Carolina. Uh, Marie and Moji actually did it. I was not in it. To really just talk about, like, they don't sit there in South Carolina, right? And just take it. They are really just incredible by um, holding the bullies accountable, especially the bullies in the statehouse.
2: house. Yeah. Melissa Moore has been shaking shit up in South Carolina for an entire Gen Z lifetime. They fought alongside queer people, birthing people, and people living under the poverty level since 2005 through leadership positions at so many amazing South Carolina organizations fighting for reproductive and gender equity. Please welcome Melissa Moore. Melissa, thank you for joining us. Yes, welcome. Hi.
3: Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure being here. I'm so glad you can make it because it's like your busy season right now. I'm I'm understanding because you, you got to gear up for a very tumultuous legislative session in South Carolina. And that in particular is why we wanted you to come here to talk about your advocacy on the state level that y'all do against attacks on abortion access on trans communities. And we're so happy to have you here today as
0: an expert. <laughs> Thank you so much. I really appreciate being here. We
3: wanted to get started um, by asking you, what are folks facing in general? What is what is coming up for them on the legislative docket right now that you're seeing, and what are the standards of care, and what should people know about those to kind of increase their own competency along the way? Because we want we want informed people.
0: Mm. So this is the busiest, and I want to say the worst legislative session I've ever seen. And I've been in the work since 2005. <laughs> it's Yikes. been in South Carolina, mind you. So what we're dealing with right now um, is they are trying our our state legislature is trying to ban abortion yet again, even though our state Supreme Court ruled the abortion ban that was passed last session unconstitutional. So they're still trying. They're going to try to rehear that case and they're going to try to get a new bill passed so that they can potentially take that one to court as well. That bill just passed out of a subcommittee. And then we're dealing with unprecedented attempts here in South Carolina to legislate trans people out of existence. The legislature is trying to uh, interfere with trans people's ability to get health care, trans children's ability to exist in school life um, and have their pronouns and names respected. They are trying to uh, make drag shows uh, designated as sex activities. So any business like a library that hosts a drag queen story hour would be considered a sex related business. Um, They are trying to ban gender affirming care for people up to the age of 26, which is unconstitutional.
3: That's a quarter of your life if you're fortunate enough to live till 100.
2: Also, you are like just about to get from under your parents' health care as per the Affordable Care Act, as I understand it you're almost close
4: to
0: medicare. Well, maybe not, but yes, like <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> yeah, there's this whole they're trying to um interfere with who can do business in South Carolina. So like the ability of our community to vote with our dollars about where we will do business, like so they're trying to ban boycotts of <laughs> of businesses that don't support our communities they are trying to enshrine white supremacy into our curriculum into our teaching standards because we don't want um like little cishet white boys in the classroom to feel uncomfortable Um, oh yes because they have a a long history of feeling really uncomfortable (laughs) as if they would align more like just the idea that they would identify more with like enslavers than with abolitionists which doesn't make sense to me at all um These people say a lot about life. These legislators who talk a big game about life, um, they're dealing in death. They passed a like a firing squad bill last year. They are they don't want
2: transgender people to exist. I'm sorry, you say a firing squad bill. I just need you to explain that explicitly what that is. Oh, it's a death
0: penalty bill that would. So the same legislators who are trying to protect potential life. Are really hell bent on destroying existing life, like actual people who are alive. Um, so, yeah, our state legislators uh, brought back the firing squad as a method of delivering the death penalty.
2: Oh, because no one can get death penalty drugs. Because yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> right? That is, right. I'm. I'm sorry. I know you've said a bunch of terrible things, and I'm. I'm mad that that's the one that I like grabbed on because I was like, wait, firing squads just sound in the list of inhumane things you've listed. Mm-hmm. Um, almost archaically inhumane.
0: Yeah. But we do, there is hope though. I mean, we have a couple of proactive pieces of legislation. Um, we have a, it's called the Live and Let Live Act. So it covers like people like me um, who might need to access transition related care, gender affirming care. Um, it covers abortion, you know, protects abortion access. It protects like um, natural hairstyles. And like, it's a sweeping non-discrimination bill. Awesome. So we're, we're really hoping that that gains momentum. We also have a paid leave bill we're trying to get passed. Ooh. Yeah.
2: What is the likelihood of passing? Do you see? And also even more than that, especially at this point, because we're kind of at the beginning of legislative session, what can people do <laughs> to support these, this kind of sweeping progressive legislation?
0: The best thing that people can do is contact their legislators and just keep the pressure on. So there we have legislative champions that are always there, like really needing our support um, because they, you know, our our House, um, we lost eight progressive seats in the House. Five of them were black women. Our legislature is dominated by cisgender men. And that has always been the case. But now it's even worse. So the, the, the people who are against the things that we fight for are in the supermajority. So they're doing a lot. They're doing their worst. Uh, and what people can do is build those relationships because, you know, sometimes we get intimidated by the process, but those people are people. Legislators are people. And one thing I really loved about this hospital gown mobilization um, thing yes. that, I'm, that I know a lot of people did, yep, that was really cool because you know if they're doing these things to our lives, they don't get to be comfortable. Hundred percent, right? And i
3: I wanted to draw attention because if for new listeners, if you're if you're a regular listener, you we talk about the intersectionality and the targeted cruelty of going after not just abortion but other types of health care. And my my particular background is I'm with a practical support abortion fund out of the Midwest, out of Illinois and uh, specifically. And while we have seen I'm going to use Illinois as an example, politicians that have responded to the need for abortion care maybe at an earlier point and seen that we're now seeing even legislators in like progressive states, quote unquote, like realizing, oh, shit, this is what they're doing to trans kids. So I'm so happy you outlined all of all of that. Um, I wanted to ask specifically, what are good ways that we can include trans voices and issues when we talk about advocating for care because yeah. we like the siloing a, a, we are very much like like, get rid of saying one gender has abortions period. Yeah. Full stop. children children, children are not an adult period. Children are children, children need abortions as an example. Yeah. But I know there's great overlap in pro choice pro-abortion legislation in some areas, and trans-affirming, gender-affirming healthcare, And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about that. Like, how do we better show the intersectionality in this area?
0: You really highlighted an important point that I appreciate, at that point being that it's not just women who get abortions. I, I have a body that can get pregnant that is not a woman's body. I often feel erased in the conversation. And I know that a lot of my trans siblings feel erased in the conversation, yet in a lot of our states, it's trans people leading the charge yep. to protect reproductive health rights and justice, to um push for affirming healthcare across the board. Yet we get erased a lot of times from the conversation. So I think one way that we could lift up trans voices and trans identities is to to change the way that we talk about abortion and also to to pass the mic to other folks who might have something to say or a story to tell. And you know one of the things that i'm really committed to this year is 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 helping other people craft their narrative so like we are all content matter experts so i think a lot of times when we have these big legislative fights we'll pivot to like professionals oh let's hear from the doctors let's hear from the lawyers but really the experts in my mind the ones that are the most impactful are the ones who who are have the lived experiences that's what the legislators don't know That's what, you know, um, the stories that need to be told are those personal stories. And so I really love to hear from trans men, for example, who've needed abortions, because we have a lot of them, you know, Mm -hmm. there are a lot of trans men who need abortions. Um, We just don't necessarily hear about it. And they might not always like be the first to step up to the mic and and tell that story, Um, but they exist. And just really making sure that we're lifting up, you know, all the stories of the people who need access to this type of care here in South Carolina. I know that, you know, our health systems are struggling. They really are like, Oh, terribly. And I know that a couple of hospital systems that we all relied on both for abortion care and gender affirming care, um, have either walked back their services or have shut their clinics down. So one big, important hospital system here in South Carolina stopped doing trans-affirming care. And that's been really devastating to the community. So just understanding the real struggles that people are going through just to exist in the world, (laughs) just to get basic needs met, it's really important to consider when we're thinking about which stories we lift up.
2: I I just 100% agree with what you said. I think it's super important to have individual people's stories, to have the stories of people's experience. I think that's the way that we change hearts and minds. I think that's the way that we enroll people who may feel a little apathetic about um, issues that they are unaware of or, Um, may just have bought into right-wing narratives as opposed to like talking to real people. And I think that that's super important and super powerful work. And I think across the abortion sphere, that's something we should all be doing. And across the trans-inclusive sphere, that's something we should all be doing. You have a rapid response organization. And I would love to hear about how your organization particularly influences politicians, especially because politicians are like dumb and a lot of times are just... Maybe don't know which way they kind of need to know which way the wind is blowing so that they can know which way to like plant their flag. So I would love to hear about the ways that your organization helps to push back against conservative politicians or embolden um, more progressive politicians and insisting that the legislation we get reflects both the needs of the people and the agenda that we all need to push forward.
0: Well, we have a thank and spank list. (laughs) I'm sorry, a what? A A thank and spank list. So there are the legislators who we thank because they're, you know, doing what we need them to do. And they're the ones that we spank because, you know, they get the public shaming. They get the, um, we wag the finger sometimes at at these folks. Um, And sometimes we do direct action to really, really turn up the heat. But it's, again, I can't, I can't say enough times or too many times that, these legislators are human. They're creatures of connection. So even if you think it doesn't, it's not going to count if I, you know, it's gonna be a waste of time for me to talk to this politician. They're not going to listen to me. It really does. It does make an impact. You're planting seeds and it might not, it takes time. The stuff is going to take a long time. And the fact that I know that we're impactful because our legislators this session are being really squirrely They are changing room numbers four and five times during hearings. Like it's supposed to be in one room. Wow. I'm sorry, they're They're hiding hiding from from you. They are um, limiting testimony or they're making it so that we can't testify because they're afraid of our voices and our power. We are a threat to them. Like the people are. So when our rapid response team... Not only is our strategy like, okay, we're gonna hit them in their districts and their backyards and their businesses, we're gonna go to their churches and power map and figure out who knows who, who knows this person, like, oh, let's talk to them. We're influencing the influencers of those legislators, but also the ways that they're treating our communities are so it's so violent. So we're approaching our organizing as like an antidote to that violence. So when we ask people to come to the state house we have a care team. We have people who are trained in mental health first aid that can go have these conversations with folks like, Hey, I I noticed that you're getting stressed out. Do you want to walk and talk with me? Helping people process the trauma of the moment, because it is, it's traumatic to be in those hearings and be, we outnumber the opposition 26 to one often, yet they still win the votes. And that doesn't make sense. So when we ask people to come to these things and then they hear slurs, they get called slurs, they get called groomers and pedophiles, or they get um, just, you know, having to experience all this misogyny, trans antagonism, misogynoir, like all the worst of the worst. We have to have a support system to be able to hold them. And then we have aftercare spaces too set up so that people can come and process their grief. We're holding regular um, every other week support space where we process the grief and the trauma of the moment we practice our testimony and then we just fellowship um so th- that is our approach is pouring all of our love and support into community and getting them ready and to feel confident and held when they have to go face um such tremendous odds and obstacles at the legislature so
3: that is amazing that is the so fact beautiful that- you center people and but at the same time it, it like you allow emotion to exist and like you talk with love and care all of this like that makes me I'm so happy that you and your organization that you all exist well thank you
2: <laughs> I'm happy that you're yeah here. I feel like um I feel like protest after care is not always a thing yeah and- <laughs>
3: that, literally literally it's like and street medics are so important like mm-hmm. all of these folks are important but we have to understand like folks need things like a day after the fact they, they need to like have a community. They need to know people are there. They need to know that what occurred to them didn't didn't happen for no reason, even if it was violent, even if it was unwarranted, all of that. And like the fact that you're trying to get people, you're trying to get people to take up space and be on the
2: public record like that. So, so critical. Oh, my goodness. Melissa, thank you so much for joining us. This was so great.
0: Thank you so much. I really enjoyed uh, talking to you all today.
2: You can follow Melissa on Instagram at Memo1030 and Twitter at Comrade Pickles.
1: That's right. All that will be in the show notes. So awesome to hear folks are fighting so hard in states that are so rough right now. I love that. Go, Melissa. All right. That brings us over to Molly at the Steaming News Desk Dump, a.k.a. her toilet, to give us all the repro news that's fit to flush. Molly, we hear you have a five-stage flusher out of Idaho.
4: That is correct unfortunately you're going to want to put on your hazmat suit for this one because it's toxic af so idaho has fully gone off the rails here they have a state law that bans public funds from being used to promote abortions whatever that means and because of that a state college has removed artwork from its own exhibition because the artwork referenced abortion you know something has to be so unequivocally awesome that just Mentioning its name is considered promoting it. Uh, we don't need to promote abortion, by the way. It sells itself. It's so awesome. <laughs> I'm sorry that they need to spend millions of dollars on a Super Bowl ad for a god whose name that they use to oppress everyone else. And speaking of football and oppression, uh, let's move on to Texas. So on Monday, five women filed a lawsuit against Texas because they almost died because they were denied abortion. So in Texas, under threat of spending life in jail doctors can only perform an abortion if there's a medical emergency and if that sounds vague as fuck to you it also sounds vague as fuck to the doctors which is leading to these dangerous situations and now the politicians who pass these bans are pretending to be shocked about these cases despite the fact that their own attorney general sued the biden administration for telling doctors to perform abortions as needed in emergencies yeah I don't know I guess being alive is too woke for Texas now <laughs> and lastly so Florida has introduced a six-week abortion ban that is very likely to be signed into law and this is going to have devastating effects on abortion access in the South and you know as a Floridian I have a lot of knowledge about the state and I can say this with full confidence uh, Fuck Florida for real for real fuck florida <laughs> all right that's your steaming news job back to you guys also
1: that passes effect check with like you know zero pinocchios 100 <laughs> good job molly thank you as always Thanks, for bringing molly. us all of that garbage oh so moj let's uh, do this let's yeah let's do this
2: let's do it let's continue focusing on bullies um uh, because we've declared today's episode an anatomy of an anti-abortion bully. And to do this, we got to break down the entire Walgreens abortion pill kerfuffle and just really lay out how relentlessly the anti-abortion movement works to get what it wants. So let's start at the beginning, shall we? In January of this year, the FDA says pharmacies can distribute medication abortion and Walgreens announces they are on board. Super exciting. They loosen regulations and they say like, yeah, it's really cool for pharmacies to dispense the pills. And this is great, Liz. For yeah,
1: 20 minutes? <laughs> yeah, it was good for about 20 minutes, you know, about when they when Walgreens and CVS announced that they, they're going to do it. So it took less than a week
2: for the uh, anti's to say like, we're now protesting Walgreens and CVS.
1: <laughs> I just want to be clear, like when the story broke, We were excited in that 20 minutes. We put it on the pod and we were excited. But there's also been a history of these pharmacies having like conscience clause laws where their pharmacists could deny birth control, plan B. Condoms. Condoms, anything that went against their moral code. And they were supposed to make sure if there was a pharmacist who had a conscience problem, that there would be another pharmacist on duty or they could recommend to a different pharmacist. And they weren't doing that. In fact, we did a petition against Walgreens and we targeted employees there to see if they knew. And it was interesting because people were responding to us in real time being like, that's not true. And it's like, bitch, it's true. It's true. So, you know, I wondered how, how Walgreens, even though they said that they were going to be part of this, how long they would last after they announced knowing that the anti-abortion people would immediately declare protest.
2: Uh, It turns out they didn't last long. Um, (laughs) The, the protest started basically in the literally January, like a week less, immediately they start talking about these protests. They start, they put out a press release and it has all these crazy studies that came from a non-credible studying organization. And then oh they, my God.
1: <laughs> just- it was like literally the press release. Like we just have to pause for a second and just read like some of the steps. So when they sent out their announcement that they wanted to do this nationwide protest of Walgreens and CVS, they were like, we are demanding that the food and drug administration, uh, don't issue any that stop this Walgreens from doing this because when there's multiple peer reviewed studies and every time you click on a link for the multiple peer reviewed studies, it goes back to a literal AstroTurf research arm that the was the same created, one. Yes, <laughs> the same one that they created solely to uh, review themselves. So it's literally like we talked to five drunks to talk about how being drunk is really awesome. And so, yeah, they created this Charlotte Lozier Institute, the Susan B. Anthony listed, who are the sort of pro-life version of Emily's List. Yes, So they could just do their own research to bring their own set of facts that have been debunked by every legitimate thing. So that happened.
2: Literally an alternative facts organization.
1: Yes, but my favorite part in this is that they wanted to scare people. And so one of the things in their press release says since the year 2000, the abortion pill has caused more than 28 deaths and 28 deaths, 28 (laughs) deaths since the year 2000. Literally more people have died reading the internet, probably reading their website. Oh my gosh.
2: (laughs) And just to give you some context, because like every death is a tragedy. We're not trying to minimize deaths, but, uh, Aspirin is linked to 3,000 deaths a year. And I see no protests from the Charlotte Lozier Institute to take that off the shelves. Right. And Viagra, how many deaths there, emoji? I mean, in 2000, they were already at 522. It's been more years than that. There's probably doubled.
1: And then so they try to make it sound like 28 deaths. And then they list like, you know, 5.6 million pre-born children, i.e. there was 5.6 million abortions. So. <laughs> If you want to change the word pre-born children to what it actually is, abortion, there was 5.6 million abortions since 2000 that used medication abortion and only 28 deaths associated.
2: It's associated. It may not even be a direct causal thing, but associated.
1: Right. So they went apeshit and they, so they were banning this drum. They sent out this wild press release and email and call to action for February 4th. And on February 4th, Moji, tell folks who was leading the charge. Our
2: favorite people. Oh, yes. <laughs> our favorite people.
1: The leading the charge was progressive
2: anti-abortion uprising, which are essentially fetus thieves. Just so you know, pow! you may have heard of them a couple months ago because they stole... This, how many fetuses did they steal?
1: They stole 115 fetuses. And then had unboxing parties. And then had unboxing parties. And so... They also are brought up on federal violations for invading clinics. And they are also just constantly, constantly drum beating and repeating this horrible misinformation. So they, along with their cronies, are leading the charge in these Walgreens. And let me tell you what, at one point, it looked like people just like napping at Walgreens. They were in the (laughs) Walgreens, laying down, passing out literature, doing like the most obnoxious things. And we felt a little bit excited at that point because that, that sort of nationwide protest didn't really amount to any change.
2: There were less than 20 people at every single one I looked at. There were not people there.
1: And like, maybe there was 10, 10 Walgreens they hit, who knows, but then shit got real.
2: And that's because they were leading the charge, but basically they have all these other people, this Susan B. Anthony's list we talked about, live action, and those people have the ears of politicians Mm -hmm. and and legislators and AGs. And so essentially 20 Republican AGs showed up and they were like,
1: if you come to our state with your abortion pills, we will sue you. That's exactly right. And so the thing that's massively frustrating is it was the potential. And they were citing the Comstock law, which maybe you've heard about that. It's this like 1800s law. We talked that about was, it here. Yeah. That's like old timey law that said you can't send pornography or anything that like will harm or that will like have disreputable morals on other people. And also there was something in that law that somehow said you can't mail abortion stuff through the mail. And it, it was like, the Comstock law has been ruled that it doesn't, you can't bring it up in this case for decades. Decades of that
2: not having any any relevance here. And I think there was even direction that came out in 2022 from the Justice Department sort of reaffirming like the Comstock Act has no place in abortion.
1: Yeah, the Justice Department said, and, and this gets a little bit in the weeds, but I think it's important. The Justice Department ruled the office of of, like the big office of like management said you have to be in cahoots. So like if Walgreens or anybody was like, we're knowingly breaking the law by sending these pills, that would be a loose interpretation of the CompSec law. But if you're just sending abortion pills through the mail or just giving someone abortion pills it's a legal thing in this country. How somebody takes that pill isn't the problem of the person distributing the pills, So you can't hold them accountable because these pills also have several other uses,
2: right? Including some arthritis management, pain management, including miscarriage management.
1: What's wild also is that some of these AGs are AGs at places where abortion is legal, Well, exactly. And the thing that was maddening is that Walgreens sent a a statement that said they will uh, dispense Mifepristone wherever it is legally possible to do so, except it's legally possible to do so, A, everywhere, according to the Department of Justice. But also, Alaska, Georgia, Iowa, Montana, Ohio, and South Carolina, abortion is legal In clinic, right? And so the caving was really, really horrifying.
2: And fast.
1: And And fast. fast. It was like a month. That's right. And so the good news is, you know, like, did our side fight back? Yeah, our side did fight back. So 23 Democratic AGs asked Walgreens not to listen to this garbage, citing the actual facts of the Comstock law and reiterating the fact that the Justice Department has repeatedly said No, you can send abortion pills and you can dispense abortion pills because they're legal.
2: And I read what they sent and they were like, the abortion pill is safe. The abortion pill has had minimal complications, especially compared to medications we have on it. The uh, Democratic AGs had facts and also they cited not one place.
1: That's right. And then in a sort of sidebar thing, 12 other Democratic attorneys general are suing the FDA about the classification of the abortion drug, saying that it's actually overregulated and that they should even loosen the regulations even further than being able to send them through the mail or at pharmacies. And that was great. And that was exciting. But then Zaddy came out and Zaddy came out like some kind of repro Aragorn slaying <laughs> the anti-abortion orcs at Walgreens and at the FDA. And and by zaddy, we mean Governor Newsom. <laughs> that's right. at Governor Newsom. So Governor Newsom was like, oh, really, Walgreens? Fuck that shit. He was like, oh, my God, it ain't happening. We are literally going to dump Walgreens from any state. MediCal, um, the carceral system, like any place. It's a fifty-four million dollar hit that 54 Walgreens will take. Yeah. Oh. And they were they were they were set to renew their contract, their state contract with Walmart in May for that 54 million. And they're like, Yeah, we're looking at other places now. So you know CBS is sitting there going, let's not say anything. We're just gonna keep our shit over here and be quiet because we don't want to lose the money.
2: And we like to get excited about Newsom doing this now, but he's actually been working against anti-abortion orcs for entirely too long. He has. It's true. When Becerra was the attorney general of California, he supported him in taking the right to make fake clinics stop lying to people all the way to the Supreme Court.
1: That's right. Because that was a weird case because it was a First Amendment case and an abortion case all in one. And the, the Supreme Court actually ruled that you can pretend to be a medical clinic if you don't provide actual medical care. So it really, it gave cover for these fake clinics to just say whatever they want as long as they're not providing care, even though they promise to provide care. It's a whole fucking mess.
2: It's a circle check of lies.
1: But the good news is, even though that happened, the state of California just introduced legislation to say that if you have gone to one of these fake clinics and you've been hoodwinked, that you can sue that fake clinic if you were deceived and given false medical information. And that's just the beginning. Right. I love that. Also, um, I know I think that that's really incredible. And that's just the beginning.
2: Yeah. He's also uh, I think June just just before or just after Rofell, he signed a bill that protected people in California or people who travel to California from any civil liability in any relation to receiving medical care in
1: the state, which is Fantastic, especially when you look at places like Texas that try to sue people just for like, yeah, going someplace else. And then in September, signed a $125 million protection bill, where it is a constitutional amendment to enshrine the right to abortion in the state constitution, eliminates co-pays for abortion services in your insurance package. It expanded giving access for women and helps prepare for the influx of people seeking abortion that are coming from other states in California. It protects patients and their privacy. Uh, creating new standards for like harassment when you go to a clinic, and it increases penalties for all of those fucking bullies we were talking about in South Carolina. Well, California's like fuck that shit, and we are going to train peace officers to really help defend these clinics and also up the uh, the ante on prosecuting people who violate the federal offenses. So it's all really cool shit.
2: This is what we need. Yeah, this is the this is the kind of activism we need on the legislative, on the, on the, the higher political realm. This yeah. is really and and, what I,
1: and, and and you know, like, I'm sure there's problems with Governor Newsom, but on in this area. It's like incredible. And he, because I like that he's like looking at the nation as a totality. I mean, he spent a whole bunch of money putting up billboards in Texas and other states saying, Hey, come to California. We'll help you get the care you need and we'll help <laughs> you pay for it. I mean, that is like a great troll and also just shows a good leadership <laughs> and just shows a lot of stuff. And so, I mean, dude obviously wants to be president, right? Uh, it's like so clear, but like shout out to California and Gavin Newsom for looking at the totality of how people are treated when they go to clinics, what happens to doctors, what happens to patients. It's a deep dive into really thinking and considering the experiences and, and the outcomes for people who are pregnant. And, and so, you know, in, in closing out this anatomy, like, you know, just like, The 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 anti-abortion bullies are fueled by by disinformation all the time, 24-7. And you know, if you'll notice, we talked about the steps that the anti-abortion activists took and the piece that we we let them. We didn't really step up. Right. Right. And so the reason that these folks they're empowered by the right because the the hateful intersections of, you know, the pro-gun people, the white supremacists, the the you know, white nationalists, anti-CRT people, that there's furries in your schools, all of those people are the same and they're working together and they work 24-7, 365. They don't sleep. They don't sleep. And we really need to understand that we need to fight as passionately for access to care as they do trying to take it from us. And so they, they are propped up because they have money behind them because they're relentless, and because they're counting on our apathy. So I say, let's prove them wrong. And that's a great transition to our next guest.
2: Yes. Oh my God, I'm so excited to introduce our guest. Dr. Ghazala Moyeti is an OBGYN educator, writer, and community activist who works at the intersections of reproductive health, rights, and justice. Dr. Moyeti is the founder and chief medical officer of Pegasus Health Justice Center a community health resource that creates holistic community wellness through justice-centered, patient-oriented healthcare and advocacy. Dr. Moyeri, thank you for joining us. Hey.
5: Hey, Hey, y'all. Hey, thanks for having me.
2: We are excited to have you. It is Abortion Provider Appreciation Day, and we are so happy to have you here to honor your work. This is a day that we hold dear as it commemorates the life and the work of Dr. David Gunn who was murdered by extremists for doing his work. Um, Can you tell us how his legacy and dedication has inspired your work?
5: Yeah, I mean, I started working in abortion care in probably around 2004 as a clinic worker in Austin, Texas. And so even though I had really always been pro-choice to some, you know, meaning of that, I never really had to think about what that meant or Practice what that meant to some extent. And really, now I really call myself pro-abortion. Um, but working in clinics and really learning about what the reality of providing abortion care is, especially in a state like Texas, learning about providers that were being harassed, providers that had been murdered, clinics that were being targeted, our own clinic being targeted, really solidified for me that this is care that I had always depended on would be there if I needed it but didn't realize that we what kind of work was needed to make sure that it happened every single day for folks um so that history is definitely something that has always loomed over me in deciding to become a physician, to provide abortion care through my training and honestly, like that legacy was used to threaten me in residency or interviewing for residency as well where, a physician said to me about the murder of David Gunn that just why was he beating the hornet's nest? You can't beat a hornet's nest. So essentially told me you can't come here and learn about abortion and train about abortion. And in fact, it is your own fault if you are killed for it. And so that is something that has always carried me through to some extent, that memory and legacy. Wow. Oh, my gosh.
1: You know, we, we talk a lot on this podcast with like you know, Pamela Merritt from Med Students for Choice. Mm -hmm. And we've we've been hearing stories about just like the lack of training and just starting to hear these stories of blaming practitioners is just really unbelievable. And I love that you said too, just what it takes to do this work. And you are extra, like, let me tell you, (laughs) because no, but for real, like being a person who provides comprehensive reproductive care should be enough. That should be all you need to do. But knowing what it takes, the fact that you have just worked with Pegasus, what you're doing now, and, and your activism combined with all of the sort of doing the work through a reproductive justice lens and then expanding out. Would you just tell folks a little bit about just the expansive nature of you just not being a person who provides abortion care, but also all the other things that you do around it so it, you're doing the complete work?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think I come at all of the health care that I provide through the lens that I've learned from providing abortion care. And um, that is even during residency, I would say like learning to give bad news around like, OK, I have to tell this person for the first time that they have ovarian cancer. How am I going to do that? Actually, I called upon all the skills from working in abortion care, working as an abortion counselor, and like how you talk to people about just really heavy stuff and what skills are needed for that. And so both the abortion care work comes through in all of the other work, and then all of the other work comes through into my abortion care work as well. So yeah, I provide... Um, I work as a hospitalist, which means I deliver babies. I attend births, do C-sections, teach OBGYN residents, family medicine residents. I do menopause telehealth, um, which is actually so awesome. I didn't realize like how awesome it is until I started doing that. And I started doing that in about 2019.
1: I love that. We're alone out there. You know
5: what? (laughs) People
1: go through menopause alone and nobody gives you the real scoop on how to like
5: successfully navigate through that part of your life. Yeah. And actually so much of abortion care intersects with menopause care too. And I didn't really realize it, even having done OBGYN training until I started being a menopause practitioner about four years ago. And so I got all these licenses, was seeing people through telehealth all over the country and stories I kept hearing over and over again was like, my doctor just told me to deal with it. My doctor just said, Meh. Mm-hmm. my doctor just said, There's nothing I can do. Um, and so people are like at their wit's end with hot flashes, vaginal dryness, not vaginal atrophy. Se- vaginal I know I'm my whole feel I go through is like <laughs> this is an ugly word, but vulvo, vaginal (laughs) atrophy, (laughs) right? And nobody will help them. And it's literally, I don't want to give away a trade secret, but it's so damn easy. Here is some estrogen, here's some progesterone, and you're going to feel better in like a month. For the most part, that's all I do. And literally that's essentially birth control pills, right? But like a different version. So it's not very hard, but like thinking about why is this such a challenge? I think actually one of the reasons comes back to like systemic problems in our healthcare system, how white supremacy shows up in our healthcare system. And what I mean by that is the way that OBGYN residents and really all physician residents are trained is that our clinics mostly serve people on Medicaid or who are uninsured. And so private coverage patients don't typically get seen in resident clinics. So what does that mean? Well, in a state like Texas, the only time you have Medicaid really is when you're pregnant. And then other than that, really you're not covered again until you have Medicare. So that gap in time is actually when people go through menopause. So we really don't see that many patients in training that are going through the menopause transition because of the way health coverage is designed. For people who don't have access to private insurance in this country.
1: And also, I just feel the erasure of older women, you know, and like the value. It's like, oh, we don't value your pleasure, right? And so the part of the devaluing of the pleasure is huge. But I'm going to stop making it about me and let's move on. (laughs) because I'm just so grateful that people are talking about it because it really is. I want people to ask for it when they start going through menopause. I want them to ask for that counseling and really demand that they get to have a full life. Yeah. Moji, you're not a menopause. Where do you want to take this conversation?
2: Uh, no, I'm not. But actually, as you were talking, you know, the last time I saw my OBGYN, just to make it personal, she was like, perimenopause is on your horizon. And I was like, great. What do I do? And she was like, nothing. I was like, oh, it's not
5: true. It's not true. Actually, you okay.
4: can do lots
2: of stuff. I was yeah. like, what are you prepping for? She was like, yeah. I just wanted to let you
5: know. For like... people that can take birth control pills, birth control pills actually really help with perimenopause symptoms. You can get that little bit of estrogen that you need. So many people I see are like, my doctor said, just deal with it. And, you know, similarly with abortion care, like doctors just will stop talking to patients when they're like, I don't want to keep being pregnant. They'll not give them any referrals. They won't give them resources. They'll give them misinformation, disinformation, right? Mm-hmm. It's amazing how many aspects of reproductive health care um, throughout our lifespan are plagued by kind of this mentality to just let people go without any support. I actually
2: love that you brought us here because we have been talking about specifically abortion bullies, <laughs> and these are like the people who... The protesters, people who protest politicians and judges and AGs who are all just like, you say the word abortion, you say the word birth control, you say any of these things. And they're up in arms and essentially saying, like, "Uh, you can't do that or my conscience. Right. And then we also talked about the anti-abortion doctors and the kind of medical professionals who just kind of prop up this like rhetoric with non-facts. And um, we loved watching you call out one such doctor when you were testifying before Congress last year.
1: It was inspirational. We as a team watched it. And And then we as a team got a petition against that doctor. Yes, we did. Yes, because she's trash. (laughs) I I mean, I think the bitch is still practicing. Yeah, I think she's still doing
2: it. and She's doing pro-choice medicine. But can you talk about that experience and what it's like to hear your colleagues just spread misinformation and then seeing that misinformation influence policy?
5: Yeah, I mean, I think having colleagues that spread misinformation has been really my experience from the very beginning of medical school, when like physician elders would just really do everything they could to put me down or to put other colleagues down that were interested in reproductive health care or abortion care specifically. So that is not a new experience, um, working with anti-abortion physicians, and really physicians with very extreme personal views that they inflict on the people that they take care of is also not new, and it's not unique to Texas. I really want to make that clear, too, that those physicians exist all over the country, not a Texas problem at all, although unfortunately that physician was from Texas that I had the misfortune (laughs) of testifying against. But, you know, that experience was definitely surreal. I've never... I mean, that's not a courtroom, but I've never even been in a courtroom, let alone the halls of Congress until that moment. And so, and I guess since then, many times have experienced that now, but actually the night before I was looking at an email and the American board of OBGYNs had sent an email out about COVID misinformation and physicians that were perpetuating COVID misinformation and medical misinformation. And I was like, oh, I'm so glad they're doing that. Huh, huh this really intersects with abortion care actually and so i just kind of wrote the statement down in my notes and i was like i wonder if i'm going to be able to work this in tomorrow and then as like she was just i can't even remember all of the things she was saying it was really horrific and very racist and i don't know if you guys remember at one point she was like i have a black nephew as yes. if like that I, it was just like <laughs> ma'am Only racists say things like that. Only (laughs) racists say that. Like, what are you talking about, right? And in fact, at the end, I don't know if it was sincere or not, but she did turn to me and say like, oh, I would love to learn more about, I can't remember what it was, but she wanted to talk about something. I don't know if it was sincere, but she did end up leaving before everything was over. So it was, you know, I really saw it as a moment to just I didn't want to attack her personally, necessarily, but there was no way I was going to let those sort of lies be perpetuated. And that sort of just mentality about healthcare or being a physician or being an OBGYN in our state be perpetuated on that in a national stage.
1: Well, and you know, the thing that I find so powerful about it was, we rarely get to see in real time, That countering that story to say before we move on, I just need to get it on the record that those things aren't true. Yeah. And then for the congressperson to say, are you saying you've heard, you know, falsehoods today? And it's like, yes, I have. We get it on cable news where it's like a two minute thing and it's a fight. And it's like, but to have it be there, I just think we need more of that and figuring out where those conversations are happening. And going there and being that. So I just want to thank you for doing that because I'm sure it felt really scary on TV in
5: front of those people. Part of the congressional record. Yeah. Part of the congressional record. Yeah. And I think I wrote down, like, don't be angry. Don't get angry.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, you didn't get angry. You were just like, "Uh, by the way, there's some bad stuff going on over there that I would just like to make Mm -hmm, sure that mm -hmm, gets corrected. mm -hmm. And And I just appreciated that so much. And I think a lot of people did. Um, because calling people out is not easy. And also, you know, when we look at the Smithy case, that's before the Texas judge right now, you know, those are a bunch of different people that just added for life at the end of right. their uh, <laughs> medical things. You know, like, I think there was like dentists for life. I'm like, I think Vangina Dentata doesn't mean what you think it means, but um, you're a over there, you know, but they're not Texas, but they purposely right. set up their shit in Texas to do that. Right. And so the lion's share of influence, I think, the right-wing politicians who get these laws passed are really relying on the garbage that they're spewing. Yeah. Do you have any advice for us on how to be as loud and and accurate and relentless as them?
5: Yeah, I think, you know... One of the things that I have noticed and that many of us in Texas have noticed over the years, and and I don't know if this is what we want to replicate, but I think it is a good observation that every two years when Texas has its legislative session, you know, absolutely bonkers bills will get introduced. Everyone is like almost half of these are unconstitutional. And then in the hearings for them, you'll even have anti-abortion people come and testify against the anti-abortion bill. Saying, I don't think this bill is far enough. I don't think people are being punished enough from this bill. Last session, people came and testified against SB8 and said the pregnant person isn't being punished, so this isn't a good enough bill, right? And you would think like, oh, they're 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 fractured, right? That they don't they don't agree, but it's not true to some extent that this is actually a tactic where they have just the most extreme people take the extreme even further, right? And so the extremes seem like, oh, at least we'll compromise with the middle. And really, like, what I want to implore people is that, like, we don't debate and we don't argue human rights issues. Mm -hmm. That there isn't a compromise on those issues at all. And we need to be, like, boldly the other way, not extreme violent or not extreme whatever, but, like, extreme love extreme compassion. And when we, that, that moment in Congress arguing with that other physician is actually somewhat rare for me. And I didn't argue with her directly because again, like there isn't a point to arguing with people that are that extreme in their mindset about your right to exist and your right to live. Those aren't the people that we're trying to join us in action. We want people that agree and are in the middle to somewhat to do something, right? not not to hope that things will get better, but to join us in doing something. And so I really try to be very careful not to engage in debates as much as possible because it's not good for my blood pressure, it's not good for anyone else's blood pressure. Sometimes they're good sound bites, but I'm trying to show like extreme love and extreme compassion not be baited into like debating on anyone's right to live.
1: Also, I think it legitimizes their position, right? If you are a credible human and you, and you are centering their position, you're legitimizing it. And I feel like, I I love what you said, because I think it's really important that we need to empower people to understand why this issue of human rights and bodily autonomy is incumbent upon all of us to fight for, for ourselves and for our communities.
2: Right. Also, I think we're not going to win this war with soundbites. We need to win this war with love, as you said, and right. with compassion and really, you know, bringing everyone together and fighting together. We often, as a podcast, talk about the effect of abortion bans on patients. But how has this post Roe landscape changed and affected you as a person who provides abortion care?
5: Especially with the heated rhetoric. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in so many ways, Top to bottom and really even past post-Roe, post-SB8, right? And even post-COVID, I would say, right? Texas shut down abortion care for a month at the very beginning of COVID, claiming that it was non-essential health care. And that was really like a canary in a coal mine moment for me that like, okay, actually, this is about to happen for real This is like the test, and it's about to happen for real, for real. And so just the way that I work has completely changed. I don't think five years ago you would have ever thought about a Texas-based physician that is traveling to another state to provide abortion care, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Usually it's the opposite. We've been working so long to recruit more physicians into states that need care rather than having people flying in. And so that model is completely reversed now, where I want to stay here for really as long as I can because of all the other stuff we talked about. Right, that the the approach and lens to all aspects of healthcare that abortion providers like me bring is really important for all reproductive healthcare in our community. But having to travel out of state to like just provide basic health care, you know, it has really turned my career upside down to some extent. It's difficult to travel that much. Abortion care is like awesome, awesome work. I love doing it. And it's not easy work. It's not easy to hold all of that in your heart. It was hard already when it was just in my own community, like all my neighbors taking care of them. It's so much more heavy, the like trauma that people are going through right now, traveling for that, them traveling, me traveling, us being together somewhere new and holding all of that long days. And then you're sleeping right alone in your hotel room without your family and your support system. So it is incredibly emotionally exhausting. I think everyone that's having to travel across the country to provide care would agree. And With what's going on right now, that emotional exhaustion, I think, is very, very heightened.
1: We have to wrap up. But one of the things I wanted to ask you is we started Abortion Access Front and this podcast so that we could get guidance from providers and from patients to then execute the best ways to advocate coming from y'all, right? Like not thinking we know, but like actually asking. So I'd love to close out with you telling folks some of the best and most inspiring things that you've seen in sort of people celebrating providers or doing activism around abortion that you found helpful, uh, moving the needle, just like also just supportive that is not harming people.
5: Yeah. I mean, I really want to just Highlight and uplift the work of abortion funds in general across the country, but specifically texas-based abortion funds And abortion advocacy groups here in the state like they are constantly centering our communities They are constantly working like just at the boldest leading edge possible always trying to figure out how to pivot in a way that helps support and sustain our communities, too Abortion funds in Texas right now have a target on their back like no other. Now that all the clinics are gone, abortion funds are who they are being focused on. Our abortion fund executive directors have been served at their own homes from anti-abortion extremists. Like they really, really do God's work to some extent here in our state and the way that they have been leading across our state is really, really inspiring. Seeing them pivot, you know, after the fall of Roe and how they've been supporting communities with wraparound services while we have been legally fighting the state to figure out if we're going to get arrested or not for just doing like our work. It's been awesome to see and really, I think, very, very inspiring.
1: Oh, Dr. Moyetti, it's always great to talk to you because you offer so much insight and wisdom just around everything. And thank you for all <laughs> the work you. that you do. Oh, and thank we you were so much. thrilled to talk to you on this Abortion Provider Appreciation Day. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Moyeri, for joining us today. Support physician advocates like Dr. Moyeri by joining Physicians for Reproductive Health and by donating to the Texas Equal Access Abortion Fund. To stay up to date with Dr. Moyeri, you can find her on Twitter and Instagram. Donation links and links to all her socials are in our show notes.
2: Liz, you know, we can't do the show that we do without our incredible sponsors. And by incredible, I mean non-existent sponsors. But, you know, we do what we can do. (laughs) Liz, will you let them know who's sponsoring the show this week?
1: Emoji, of course. Does your focus on the family game night need a little more harassment and arson? How about a game that's not only fun, but teaches your teen boys to build courage through firepower and teaches your teen girls, well, nothing. If that sounds like the wholesome pronoun-free night you're looking for, then make Monopoly Abortion Clinic Protester Edition the centerpiece of your next family night. In this special edition, players compete to buy up property all around the abortion clinic and turn them into churches, police departments, state houses, or a hobby lobby. The player with the most properties to do the most harm to clinics win. Uh-oh, did you draw a chance card saying you got caught having an abortion? Go to jail. Go directly to jail. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200 from an abortion fund. Because in this game, there are no get out of jail free cards for people who have abortions or the doctors who provide them. Better luck next time. It's also available in an online version, so you can play with white supremacist loners and militia passers from all over the world. Use promo code AbortionGamer gamer to get 10% off of Monopoly abortion clinic protester edition. It's fundamentalist for the whole family. Oh, that sounds fun. Liz. It does not sound fun. Mochi. You're a black woman with a black son and a black husband. <laughs> what are you talking about? We don't have enough white supremacy in our house. Um, you know, Moji, I think you do have enough white supremacy in your house. If you have none, that's enough. You're right. I, I do live in America. Oh my God. Let's bring on, let's bring on the
2: guest. <laughs> She's performed at the Netflix as a joke festival, and you'll soon be seeing her in the next season of Curve Your Enthusiasm. And she just debuted her new comedy special, People Pleaser, on YouTube. Please welcome comedian Chase O'Donnell. Chase, thank you for being here with us today. Well, and by us, I mean me. <laughs>
6: <laughs> thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here with you.
2: Chase, it is hilarious that you went to your high school reunion on Zoom. <laughs> like, What other major life events have you had via Zoom these last few years? A, a wedding, perhaps? Uh- oh,
6: I mean, I think everything's been on Zoom. So I've had two Zoom weddings, a Facebook Live wedding um i've had comedy shows on zoom i've had dates on zoom i think that's uh, oh therapy on zoom well yeah that's normal now Uh, now, yeah (laughs) (laughs) who
2: goes in to see a therapist in real life that's wild i've never
6: met my therapist in real life and i i i don't plan to
2: it's there besides therapy Anything you refuse to do in person now because of Zoom, like besides yeah. therapy, so I don't know if I'll ever go to an office to talk to another person.
6: Okay, we're on the same page there. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like I say, I refuse to go to another wedding in person because Zoom weddings are just so easy. I, you know, I was a you bridesmaid pay for your own booze. I, I was a bridesmaid though, and I it was a Zoom wedding. And let me just tell you, it's so much less stressful, so much less work. So I I probably won't refuse to go to a wedding, but it is nicer to just, you don't have to small talk. You can mute yourself. You know what I mean?
2: Yeah. yeah, yeah. Did you have to, as a Zoom bridesmaid, like still get your own dress? Like did you have to wear a special dress for the Zoom wedding?
6: We, uh, at the time the wedding wasn't going to be on Zoom. It was before COVID. So we all already
2: had our bridesmaid dresses. So we wore them. I'm just like, there's some bradzilla somewhere that is fully making people buy dresses (laughs) for a Zoom wedding. I
6: I don't think she made us. It was just kind of like, I paid $300 for this
2: dress, so let me get some use out of it. (laughs) When the hell else am I going to wear it? Yeah. (laughs) Um, So you started this year out, 2023. We're here with your debut album um, and new special, People Pleaser. So... When did you first acknowledge that you're a people pleaser? Like, when did that hit you? I uh,
6: I think I've always been a people pleaser. I didn't realize I was people pleasing till my mid-20s when I was doing so many things for so many people that I, I became very unhappy. And I went through a phase of depression and I, I was so unhappy. And I had to realize, oh, it's because I'm not living my life. I'm living everyone else's life that they think I should live. So um, it was my mid-20s. I, I call it my quarter-life crisis. And that's when I realized things had
2: to change. Was there like one incident where you were just like, fuck this shit? Or just like, oh God, maybe I, I, I should do better for myself. Uh,
6: there, I went through a breakup and got kicked out of my apartment in Brooklyn. They were like redoing it. It was going through a gentrification sitch. And getting kicked out of the apartment and getting broken up with was kind of my like, oh, I think the universe is giving me a sign that things need to change. I'm kind of getting kicked out of my life. That was my aha.
2: <laughs> we're smiling. Well, I'm glad we can smile. I, well, I was, mean, we're here now. You know, that was like then. That was a quarter life crisis. You moved to a different life crisis at this point. Yeah, exactly.
6: I don't want to make light of the sitch, but I, I'm over that. That bad time in my life.
2: <laughs> so as a blonde people pleaser, who's often profiled as a blonde, <laughs> can you tell us about a time when you were a blonde buzzkill?
6: I guess I can be a buzzkill um, at like <laughs> any sort of event with a lot of people and loud music and lots of, lots of like drunk Gen Zers. I'm a buzzkill. I, I feel to old and out of it and don't i just want
2: to be home in pjs so i can be a little bit of a buzzkill oh my god i was on tiktok just a few days ago oh i god. just remember so this I. but i discovered because i'm an, a gen xer mm-hmm. um of a, a, a borgs do you, do you know about these borgs no These are gallons of drinks that Gen Zers make. It's like a gallon and they like pour out half a gallon of water and then they pour in vodka and then they pour in electrolytes and like Mio and they call it up. And then they write something funny and witty on the outside, like Ruth Borger Ginsburg or something like that on the outside. And then they have these secrets. So anyway, look at my mouth dropped.
5: Because
2: I was like, (sighs) in my 20s, I might've been into that. But also like, I'm just imagining like being a buzzkill, being like, Put more water in your drink, or like I don't know. Anyway, that was totally yeah, weird, random, non But Gen
6: apply. Z's man, are they cool? I'm very intimidated by Gen Z. Yeah, yeah,
2: it's super <laughs> cool. Because oh, I was like, oh wow, that's like actually harm reduction, but it's also like you need a half a gallon of vodka with your water. <laughs> like, <laughs>
6: it is a good idea. I, I'm sure I've drank that much in in my early twenties, and that
2: would have been a good thing to do. <laughs> They're so cool. My God. They're so cool. So the sorority girl to comedian pipeline is not something we hear about often enough. <laughs> Seems like a kind of underexplored phenomena. So when you go to your member events with your sorority sisters, I mean, yeah. are they like perplexed by your career direction? Or were they? are they like, oh, no, 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 no. Chase is totally the funny one. She's always been the funny one. We saw this a mile away.
6: I think both. I think they're very perplexed because I, I, I'm the only one in the group that's doing stand-up. But also when I was in college with all of them, I was the theater major and the only theater major, I think, in the entire Greek life system. And they were so supportive. They would be at every show. I mean, they it was like a built-in, like, cheerleading squad I had they'd be they've been supporting me forever but I definitely perplexed yes (laughs) and I do get a lot of material from that time in my life being in a sorority because I I was very observant and did see that I was a little different than
2: the typical sorority girl in my opinion actually I love that you brought up that you were a theater major because you also pointed out that you I have an undergraduate dance degree which I also have one of those you <laughs> kidding also we're both Pisces this is insane we're basically the same person oh my uh, gosh <laughs>
6: not very many people have an undergraduate in dance I just have to no. say
2: no, no. Well, I mean, I have a liberal arts degree with a with a minor minor in dance. But yeah, 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 yeah.
6: theater yeah. with minor in dance. Yeah, yeah, mine was like literature
2: and dance, <laughs> but equally useful. But my mom and sister <laughs> both dance majors. It definitely nice. runs in our family. Oh, it's that runs in your family. Yeah. So, like, as a comic, as a sorority comic, <laughs> what are the what are the random ways you found this dance degree helpful in your career, if at all ever?
6: Yeah, I mean, I'm sure you've felt this too you clearly have lots of dance experience I've been dancing since I was two my mom was my dance teacher so I've just dance has always been a part of my life so being on stage was never something I had to get accustomed to I just I've been performing from so 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 young so that's definitely I felt like that like 10,000 hours that you have to do to become an expert at something. I already had 10,000 hours in performance and stage um, experience. So that has been super helpful is just that performance time that I've had my whole life. And dance is very expressive and you you, you're acting and telling a story without words, but I learned so much and discipline how to, I don't know. I've, I feel like it's I'm going to put my, kid, my kids in dance.
2: <laughs> Having excellent posture is really nice. It is, but
6: you know what? I kind of rebelled because I was in ballet oh. class like every day. Any chance I wasn't, I'd be like hunched. Oh, So it kind of backfired. No, for me, I'm always like
2: pulling in, lifting up. But I can always spot a
6: dancer. <laughs> I'm always like, oh, they're a dancer because you can tell.
2: <laughs> I feel like in New York, anybody who has on pink tights and a bun, I'm just like, they're a dancer. Oh, well, obviously, <laughs> yes. They're a dancer, clearly. You can
6: tell by turnout, too. <laughs> Are you any good at manifesting?
2: I think so. I, okay. think, I think so. As an expert manifester, can you give us some tips on Manifesting positive change for abortion rights because it's dark these days. I know.
6: Okay, this is my advice on this. And I'm I'm so thrilled you called me a manifest expert, but <laughs> I'm going to say amateur. But I I think it's super, super easy to get angry about everything that's going on. And I find myself getting angry. And I think the best way to manifest change is to actually stay in that high vibration and stay positive and send love even towards issues we're super upset about so that we can, I just think being positive about it will make a more impactful lasting change. That's my two cents, but it's so hard to stay positive. How do you
2: send love to Jordan Peterson?
6: I see. I You know what? Listen, I'm an amateur. I don't know. I I haven't done it. I'm speaking to the choir. But... I I do feel like at least just sending love to to the future we see and what we want and keeping that positive outlook. It's hard.
2: It's hard. We can Um, do it. And we have to truthfully, like, come on, if we can't laugh and like pick ourselves up and cheer on through the crying, then um, what are we doing? What is life if we can't laugh through
6: it? Thank God for laughing sometimes, for sure, because it helps.
2: Says you, professional laugh um, facilitator.
6: (laughs) I've had to. I I usually take anything that's not good in my life and I write a joke about it. And that is my coping mechanism, but it's it's definitely helped.
2: (laughs) Do you like keep them in a journal or do you like... Look at this. Oh, you're going to show me your, the, this is the book of, of secrets. Oh yeah. I love it. Oh yeah. Journal <laughs> all the time.
6: <laughs> and speaking of manifesting, I do vision boards all the time too.
2: Oh my goodness. Is that a vision board book? Like a book of vision boards? You yeah. Just have Like a I, notebook and you vision board in your notebook?
6: I vision board in my journal. So every journal I have is like really pretty to look through because I have little vision boards throughout the whole thing.
2: It's a hobby. It's fun. No, but it's like a good secret. That's a good thing to know. Yeah. Fantastic. All right. Last question. What tea are you drinking these days? Because I've been trying to not drink coffee.
6: Speaking of I'm drinking tea right now. Um, I'm a huge tea fan. I love tea so much. My favorite is jasmine tea with just a little bit of honey. Oh, it's, it brings me a lot of joy.
2: Oh, I have to try that. I've been doing like chai and ginger in my um, explorations. That's a little spicy. It is a little little spicy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the chai has the caffeine that I'm trying to maybe not jump in on.
6: Oh, green tea has caffeine too, though, but it has like this floral scent,
2: like taste to it. And that's what I really like. Give it a go. I'll give it a go. (laughs) Chase, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us about manifestation and sorority life.
6: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you so much.
2: (laughs) Follow Chase O'Donnell on social media. Twitter and IG Chase underscore O'Donnell. TikTok Chase underscore Elaine. And watch her comedy special People Pleaser out now on YouTube or listen to the album on Spotify.
1: That's our show. Oh, my God. Thanks so much for listening. And I just want to thank again, Melissa Moore and Dr. Moyetti for joining. Your buzzkills are here as we navigate these dark days. So if you like us, support our pod by subscribing, write a review, give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you are helping more folks learn about this assault on reproductive access. To keep up with all the latest repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front across all the fucking motherfucking platforms. FBK Live is edited by Remy D'Tarnay and is produced by Abortion Access Front.
2: Looking for where you might fit in to do some abortion activism? Look no further than our five-part training series, Operation Save Abortion, available in video and podcast form. Gather friends, watch or listen together and follow the activity guide for a full experience. Details on the series are at operationsaveabortion.com. And make sure you check out the activist calendar as well, which is chock full of local and national actions and educational opportunities.
1: And one of those amazing opportunities is the We Testify Abortion Storytelling Training happening on March 15th at the link in our show notes. This is an incredible virtual webinar that teaches participants how to effectively communicate about abortion through their personal stories on various forms of media.
2: And next week, we'll be joined by data scientist and comedian, Andrea Jones-Roy, to talk about their podcast, Majoring in Everything. Plus, author and full-spectrum doula, Sabia Wade, joins us to discuss her new book, Birthing Liberation, How Reproductive Justice Can Set Us Free.
1: And it's a Patreon plug. Join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool EPK merch and experiences that are exclusive when you become a patron. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist buzzkills. And finally, we leave you with
2: Gabriel Finocchio, a man who shows his whole ass by inserting Jesus into your vagina.
3: If you're married and you're having sex, you should be having children. And if you don't like that, take it up with Jesus. Because the primary purpose for the sexual function is the generation of new life. Children are not expensive. Parents are expensive. Children don't ask to eat out all the time. Parents are the ones that want to go on fancy vacations. You're the one that's expensive.
0: Feminist Buzzkills, the podcast from Abortion Access Front. New episodes drop Friday. When BS is poppin', we pop off. And if you want to support our podcast and all the work of Abortion Access Front, Like, subscribe, and join our Patreon at patreon.com slash feministbuzzkills.